The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The following is a paid program. The views expressed by the following program are those of the sponsor and not necessarily those of 77 WABC and Red Apple Media. Welcome, everybody. Live from the campus of Ryder University in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, welcome to the first and only debate between the candidates for lieutenant governor in cooperation with the New Jersey Election Law Enforcement Commission. Tonight's debate is sponsored by the New Jersey Globe, by the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder, and Project Ready. The candidates are Republican Diane Allen and Democrat Sheila Oliver. I'm David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Our panelists are Micah Rasmussen, the director of the Rebovich Institute at Ryder, and Chanel McLeod, the CEO of Project Ready. Under the rules of the debate, Questions will be alternated between Senator Allen and Lieutenant Governor Oliver, with each candidate receiving 60 seconds to answer. Follow-up questions will be at my discretion. And as a substitution for the traditional coin toss, the candidates agreed to balance last week's debate with the Democratic candidate, when the Democratic candidate spoke first. So the first question is for Senator Allen. Uh, Senator, both of you... Uh, the lieutenant governor yourself have spent decades working on behalf of the people of the state. You're both trailblazers. There's no doubt about that. You've both made an indelible mark on the state of New Jersey. But a recent poll shows that despite all of that, nobody really knows who either of you are. Uh, Senator Allen, why should voters care who the next lieutenant governor is? And after 12 years, does this office you're seeking, you're both seeking, really need to exist? I think people should care, and I think people need to become more aware of what's going on when it comes to elections anyway. We need to have an educated electorate to make sure that we have the best government possible. In terms of uh, this particular position, this position was created a few years back because we had two governors in a row both leave office and left a whole extra year of their term that needed to be filled. And so consequently... Um, we had somebody from the Senate take that position. And what that meant was that we had a state senator who was also running the other branch of government. It didn't work, and we needed to make sure that um, there was somebody else there. I can't see the signs. If there are things going up, I can't see them. So thank you. Well, we'll ask Lieutenant Governor to, uh, to respond to that. I've had the opportunity to uh, examine the position of lieutenant governor because I'm very active in the National Lieutenant Governors Association, and each state is different. As Senator Allen pointed out, we could not have a Senate president also at the same time occupying uh, the seat uh, of governor. In terms of New Jerseyans not knowing who either of us are, I have found that uh, many of our people in the state don't even sometimes know who our governor is. I think that uh, many people are not civically engaged. I think that many people are so busy just trying to raise their children and get the bills paid that uh, politics is not, uh, you know, something that they pay a lot of attention to. But uh, when you make them uh, focus in on things that affect their lives, I always tell people, Somebody's making a decision about your loaf of bread and your milk, so you need to pay attention. This question is for Lieutenant Governor Oliver. 
How can New Jersey afford to add universal preschool, prepare for climate change, and continue to fund our pension systems without raising taxes for the next four years, as both of your running mates have pledged at last week's debate? It's growth of the New Jersey economy. And New Jersey has not capitalized on its position in the region. The university structure that we have here, we've got several medical schools that are here. And building an innovative economy for the future of New Jersey will lead us to expanding our revenue base. Uh, it, is, it is extremely um, interesting that the legislature and the governor signed restoration of uh, filming in New Jersey. The we have already seen $500 million spent from the film industry from filming in New Jersey. We have not uh, explored our assets as a state, uh, and I think that Governor Murphy and I have focused in on initiatives to make certain that we create more revenue in the state. I think that uh, the concept of creating more revenue is good. The problem is every time we turn around, we see a new tax on business, and we see businesses leaving the state. And we aren't going to have more revenue if we don't have more businesses and more jobs. It's a big concern, and it's something that Jack Cittarelli and I uh, hope to address. I do feel that you mentioned that both candidates say they're not going to raise taxes, and I really do need to point out that Governor Phil Murphy said last Tuesday that he was not going to raise any taxes for the next four years. That was Tuesday, and on Friday, uh, he raised the taxes $250 million on businesses. So I'm not sure that we can believe that. I'm not sure that that's uh, something that's going to make the big difference for us. Senator Allen, looking back on the health pandemic from 2020 to now, in reflection, are there any things you think the current administration should have done differently? Well, absolutely. When I think about COVID patients being put back into nursing homes and into our veterans' homes, even when the administration was told that people will die if you do that. They were absolutely told people will die. And indeed, people did. 8,000 or more people died. It was a terrible thing to do. That, to me, um, it's still painful to think about. I mean, we have, we have three homes in the state for veterans, and we lost hundreds of people there and thousands in all of our nursing homes. It was the wrong thing to do without question. When it comes to many other things, I would say that uh, some things worked, some things didn't, whether it's this state or other states. But the COVID patients into nursing homes, big problem. Just a follow-up question, uh, Senator Allen. During last week's debate, Assemblyman Chitarelli said of vaccines, do I believe government has a right to require someone to take medicine? No, I do not. Do you support or oppose the seven currently required vaccines to attend public schools in New Jersey? I do think that our children should be taking vaccines, but I want to say something about it. It's not a mandate where you must do it this way. Always a parent needs to talk with the doctors and to make sure it's right. 
My son nearly died from a vaccine shot, an MMR shot, when he was a child. We didn't know whether he would survive it. He did, and we continued with his vaccines, but it was over a much longer period of time and much less uh, product each time he got the shot. And that has continued now with my four grandchildren. We need to make sure that we're doing it the right way. It's not one size fits all. It never has been. And there are people who have religious objections, and then there are the medical issues. So I think we have to look at everything, and we have to say parents are the ones who need to be in charge of making sure that this happens in the appropriate way. Lieutenant Governor, we're going to give you a chance to respond to that. We have a public health system because we have to make certain that everyone's health is protected. Yes, we do need to require vaccination. I think about the era of polio. I think about the era of uh, mumps, measles, diphtheria. Uh, if we had not mandated vaccinations, we would have had a lot of children uh, experience some very, you know, horrendous kinds of health challenges. Vaccination is something that protects not just the individual that receives it, but the uh, public and the community at large. I've known children that were born uh, with hearing loss because they were born of women who did not have a vaccine for measles. So uh, I think, yes, that vaccines are necessary. They should be required. Um, I do believe that religious exemption does need to have uh, attention paid to. Lieutenant Governor, one criticism that I hear about Governor Murphy's leadership is that he's sometimes slow to fire somebody, and whether it's Marcus Hicks running state prisons or Jamel Beal at the uh, veterans' homes uh, or Al Alvarez at school development, that the governor sometimes takes a little bit longer than he should to pull the trigger when it comes to a flawed member of his administration. Is that a fair statement? No, what I believe Governor Murphy does is he does not, quote, convict people and uh, people are innocent until they're proven guilty. That's a premise of our system in this country that we, do make, we, make, we don't make assumptions that people have engaged in some wrongdoing. With each one of the cases that you cited, Governor Murphy uh, undertook uh, an outside external investigation put the facts on the table, and when he had enough data to make a firm decision, that is what he did. Uh, I'm thinking right now of a U.S. agriculture secretary who was summarily fired uh, because of, uh, you know, something she was accused of, uh, Secretary Sherrod. Uh, we, all know, we now know what a grave injustice was done to Secretary Sherrod, and uh, I think that Phil Murphy does not want to needlessly uh, indict people. I think Phil Murphy is exceedingly slow in taking action. In fact, in some cases, I think he just doesn't want to have to deal with certain situations, and it creates so many problems. I'm thinking about the Edna Mann prison. Back in April of 2020, the federal government came out with a report that said it was a rape den this is the women's prison in New Jersey. And they said that they found women were being tortured. They were being pulled out of their cells. They were being raped. They were beaten. Bones were being broken. 
That was in April of 2020. They passed that on to the administration and nothing happened. Then in the very beginnings of 2021, a news story was done. And finally, people, all of us became aware of it. And we were all outraged. How could we let this go on? We never heard from the administration, not one word. Days went by, weeks went by, months went by. And finally, because of a bipartisan effort in the legislature of people screaming that we had to make a change, finally, the governor addressed it, but only after it really affected him, not the women. Let me ask a follow-up question to that. Lieutenant Governor, it's no secret that, that there are frustrations all across New Jersey on the lines of the Motor Vehicles Commission. Uh, the person in charge is, is Sue Fulton. She, uh, she has, has been there from the start of the mm-hmm. Murphy administration. She has, uh, she's been there for over a year since this problem occurred. Uh, do you think Sue Fulton's doing a good job? I, Sue Fulton was hit like a blivet with something called COVID-19. When we look at how many motor vehicle facilities and agencies there are from one end of the state to the other, one of the reasons some of those offices had to close down because of the fear of spreading this virus. Uh, You've been in motor vehicle offices before. You know how crowded they are. You know how many people come into those offices. Both um, myself and the governor understood, along with the commissioner, that uh, that uh, COVID uh, was uh, that that could have been a uh, a super spreader place. When workers became infected with the virus, we had to immediately close offices down because we of the the threat of spreading it to people coming in. No one is happy that uh, motor vehicles got backed up. Nobody is happy that appointments could not be made. But we had to be concerned about the health of the general public. But why weren't we set up so that if they had to go home, they could work from home? Because that's what so many other businesses did. But instead, they just closed it down. And the reality is, the University of Chicago undertook a study that said that we're number 50 of all the states, number 50, when it comes to the ability to reach somebody to help you in government. My husband and I were trying to get something done with motor vehicles, and we called, and we called. And I would get us something that said, you know, uh, you can't do this today, try again tomorrow. Well, that's just ridiculous. We need to be able to have government serve the people. Senator Allen, the USDA has extended its pandemic funding to New Jersey school districts for free breakfast and lunches for this school year. And it seems like some districts are handling the extra volume better than others. I'm wondering if you've seen the the photos of what some people call the stomach-churning school lunches in Patterson. And if nutritious meals are important to provide to children who may not otherwise have them during their day, isn't this every bit as urgent a problem as other aid programs are during the pandemic? I would agree with you. I think that we need to make sure, if we're going to undertake this program, to feed children, to make sure they get what they need so that they can have a robust learning day. The food needs to be decent. Kids aren't going to eat slop, let's face it. We need to give them good, hearty meals. Uh, I saw some of these pictures, and they were revolting. I don't understand how this can be. Um, 
I know that there are schools that are doing a good job, and you did mention that, and I think that that's important. But we need to look at that. We need to change that. We need to make sure that our kids get what they need. As a former school board member, I think that each district has a governing body, Board of Education members, who must approve menus, who must approve and select and uh, determine who the vendor or provider of school lunches are going to be. It is... uh, It's possible to serve nutritious, attractive lunches. I think each district uh, bears responsibility for what ends up on a child's plate for lunch and for breakfast. Uh, This is not something that uh, means that we shouldn't do school breakfast. We shouldn't do school lunch. I think that the adults that are involved in running school districts have to step up and take accountability uh, for the type of lunch that we saw. Lieutenant Governor Oliver, Elizabeth Brantley Holmes from Somerset said, data shows the students, particularly students of color, have fallen significantly behind grade level due to the pandemic. What is your plan to get students back on grade level by the end of this year? Many uh, organizations and communities across the state are stepping up, providing after-school tutorial sessions. Many voluntary organizations are sororities, our fraternal groups have stepped up, volunteered to work with students in school districts to help bring them up to grade. There is no doubt that there has been learning loss and uh, people are really going the extra mile to try to ensure that students can be brought up uh, to to, uh, where they should be. Uh, I believe that summer programs, uh, you will see them ramped up as well. Uh, learning loss did occur. Yes, it did. But a choice had to be made about the health of employees and children and teachers. And I think no one regrets. Uh, We are looking at states all around the country. I just listened to a report this morning about three teachers in a Florida school that all three of them died within a week of each other. We had to protect people. I think it was important to protect people, but I know in other states, children were able to go to school every single day. No one got sick. There were no problems, and their education was at a much higher level. Again, I have grandchildren in a different state. They went to school. They wore masks. They were socially distanced, and they learned, and they've done well on their tests. I worry about our children. I worry particularly when schools were shuttered so quickly Some kids that were then sent home didn't have a computer, didn't have the Internet. What were they supposed to do? I mean, these kids really lost out. And having a parent then have to give up a job to teach them, it was a real problem. I am thankful that there are programs that are going to be working for kids in the future, and uh, I support that. And, Senator, I want to to talk about guns. It's it's an issue of of tremendous concern to a lot of New Jerseyans, and... And Delphine from Newark has asked about a 15% increase in homicides by gun in New Jersey. Uh, Senator Allen, you said that you would review New Jersey's concealed carry law. Would that decrease gun violence? Well, I don't know. I mean, we need to review it. We need to review everything when it comes to guns, I think, uh, because, in fact, we're seeing violent crime up. We're seeing gun crimes up. The problem is that even though New Jersey has the strictest gun laws in the country, that doesn't seem to make a difference when it comes to illegal guns. Uh, 
so that those folks who follow the law have guns, maybe take their child to go shooting at a range once a month, or they go out and hunt and put food on the table. These are not the people who are causing all of these um, high crimes. What's happening is these illegal guns are coming in. We need to look at that. We need to find out about people who need to perhaps defend themselves. There was a woman in South Jersey in Berlin named Carol Bone, who was a victim of domestic violence, and she wanted to get a gun permit so that she can carry a gun because she really thought that her ex-husband was going, her ex-boyfriend was going to kill her. And she put in for it, and weeks went by, and she didn't get it, and weeks went by, and she called and said, I really need this, and two days later, he came and stabbed her to death. So, yeah, we need to make sure that people who need these, particularly domestic violence victims, are able to get guns if they are prepared to use them. Concealed carry is wrong for New Jersey. People in New Jersey do not want such a law. Senator Allen uh, has always supported uh, concealed carry. She was against criminal background check extension. She was against uh, having to uh, have uh, magazine limit capacities on guns. Why does someone need a 50 caliber? Why does someone need comparable weapons that you would have in the military? We don't need that in New Jersey. And, yes, gun Violence is out of control. Why in the world would we have a law in New Jersey that I could walk into the Starbucks or the McDonald's and the guy next to me has a weapon? And Senator, we, Lieutenant Governor, talked about your record. So, so <laughs> he, let me give you a chance to respond. Is, is, was that she your did. voting record when you uh, were in the Senate? I would say that uh, some of it is. Uh, but a lot of those things tried to take guns away from people who had them legally. And we do actually have a Second Amendment in the Constitution that says you have a right to bear arms. And if you say, well, you can no longer use any gun that has X, Y, or Z, then pretty soon you're taking all the guns away from people. I mean, that's not what we need to be doing. We need to take a look at how we can get rid of the guns that are being used on the streets. The gangs are using guns. People are using guns because they're involved in the drug trade. They're illegal guns. That's where we should be focusing, not with folks that have legal guns and are using them appropriately. Lieutenant Governor Oliver, one year ago this week, Governor Murphy proposed legislation to codify Roe versus Wade to protect against the possibility of it being overturned by the United States Supreme Court. He said, I hope to God it doesn't happen, but we don't want to take a chance that it could happen. And yet one year later, New Jersey is no closer to that legislation being adopted, and yet many would say we're significantly closer to the overturn of Roe. So as a former legislative leader, is this something that's going to happen? I believe it will happen. I know the internal workings of both the Assembly and the Senate. I know where people stand on this issue. There is no question in my mind that Senate leadership and Assembly leadership and their caucuses and subsequently their entire memberships will move towards voting affirmatively for the Reproductive Freedom uh, Act that has been proposed. There is no turning back as it, as it relates to our uh, Roe versus Wade. I think about as a college student uh, in the 70s, a book was written called Our Bodies, Ourselves. Women have come a long way understanding their bodies 
how their bodies work, and what their choices in life are. We will, in fact, get that legislation signed into law in New Jersey. I don't think we will, because I don't think that that's really what New Jersey wants. We don't want the Texas law, that's for sure. Uh, the Texas law pits people against each other in a very strange way, uh, and it cuts off abortions at a time that is uh, too soon for a woman sometimes to even know that she's pregnant. But this law in New Jersey, were it to pass, would mean that you not only could have abortions during the first six months, but you could have an abortion in the seventh, the eighth, or the ninth month, right up to the day before a child is born. I don't think that's New Jersey. I don't think that's what people are really looking to do. Now, I am certainly not against overturning Roe v. Wade. I think a woman does have a right to choose. But I think there's a point where we have to look at it from the standpoint of, does it go all the way up to the end? Or, or is it something that we need to think about as it has been in New Jersey? May I? So Jack and Diane think that the government should not mandate vaccination, but conversely, they believe that government should tell a woman whether she should bear a child or not. That is hypocritical, and it shows you what you will get out of a Chitterelli, Allen kind of an administration. They are not on par with the women of New Jersey and the beliefs that women hold. I think, actually, as I speak to women across the state, um, while many of them, like me, agree that a woman should have the right to choose for an abortion, um, they also agree that a woman should have a right to choose as to what's being taught in the schools to her children. And that's something that your administration apparently doesn't agree with. I must say that um, we need to take, we need to allow the people of New Jersey to say what it is that they want. How do they want their government run? This is a government by the people, of the people, and for the people. It's not mandates from Trenton. It's finding out what people want, listening, and then acting on that. And that's what Jack and I will do. Senator Allen, last week, Assemblyman Chitterelli was asked how he would define white privilege. He declined to answer. How would you define white privilege? I suppose white privilege is the fact that for many people who are white, we are able to accomplish things and do things thinking that we're doing it on our own, when in fact perhaps we're doing it because we're being given a little leeway because of our color. Most of us are probably not aware of that as it happens. The thing with white privilege, though, is that as we try to talk about it, I see that young people are concerned and saying that, well, it's like critical race theory. I mean, what does that mean exactly? How do we... How do we determine what that is? Nobody can give me a, a firm explanation. I've looked it up in many places. But how do we deal with it? Do we tell kids about our history? Absolutely. Warts and all, they have to know about the stain of slavery and these terrible things that have happened. But going forward, we need to bring people together. We need to make sure that young people understand that we need to respect each other. We need to celebrate each other's gifts and come together as one. White privilege uh, is historical in nature. When New Jersey was founded and created, 
colonists were able to receive 140 acres of land if they were willing to settle in our colony. That sets the tone for intergenerational wealth. There are opportunities and the provision of assets that are afforded to one class and one race of people not given to the other. When I was a, a work, a worked at Caldwell College, I saw a couple that was going to get married upon graduation that applied for a mortgage and got it because they had a piece of paper that was a promise of employment. That would not happen for someone who did not have access to white privilege. Lieutenant Governor, last week there was a debate between your, your running mate and Senator Allen's running mate. And, and if you had told me two years ago that there would be a debate in New Jersey Transit, wouldn't come up, I'd have been very surprised. Uh, the first two years of the Murphy-Oliver administration, uh, New Jersey Transit was a mess. Uh, first of all, have you, have you fixed New Jersey Transit? And, and let me work a part B into this question. Uh, fare increases greatly affect low-income New Jerseyans, uh, specifically working families uh, and, and communities of color. Will you support a fare increase for New Jersey Transit over the next four years? I do not support increasing fares, just as I am willing to fight the state of New York for congestion pricing, because that hurts our commuters as well. The problem with Port Authority, with not Port Authority, with New Jersey Transit has been undercapitalization of a system for many, many years. We saw diversions of money out of the capital improvement budgets of New Jersey Transit for years. Assets were never put back into the system. I believe there are ways that we can restore capitalization and funding to improve our system. Uh, I believe that we can run a tighter management of the agency. Uh, fair increases are not always the way to get to where we need to be. You know, the governor borrowed $4.5 billion, which we didn't need, and which we have to pay back, and it's going to cost us a lot more than the 4.5 to pay it back. wonder if we could take some of that money and actually put it towards things like transportation, because certainly we need that. I have a question, though, about transportation, and that is, why was it that when the storm Ida came through, no one picked up the phone and called New Jersey Transit and said, look, it's coming. Why, why didn't we declare an emergency to say, be careful, don't let the trains go where we know it's going to flood? Because we know where that flooding is going to happen. Nobody did it. And what happened? A train got stuck in Bound Brook. And so the floodgates couldn't close. And so Bound Brook was a disaster area with flooding, all because a phone call wasn't made to let the folks at New Jersey Transit know, don't go there. This is not the night. May I? Yes. In the prior administration, before Phil and I uh, became uh, governor and lieutenant governor, uh, we had uh, a governor who didn't pick up a phone and make a phone call about hundreds of trains that had been placed in a place that we knew would flood. As a result of that, we had hundreds of trains that were taken off the grid. So I suppose 
that governor should have made a phone call too, because that got us further behind the eight ball. Senator Allen, during last week's debate, Assemblyman Chitterelli took the opposite position he did during a debate in May on whether unauthorized immigrants should be able to obtain a driver's license when he said at that time during the primary, quote, I would end the program. Does your presence on the ticket and your advice account for his change of heart between the primary election and the general election campaigns? Certainly we talk about all of these issues. And we try to find a place where we're both comfortable with the issues. We may not always find that place, but we think that that's okay because uh, we're just trying to bring information uh, together so we can move forward. I do feel that this is not a bad program at all, uh, but the issue is should we only be right now giving these out to folks um, who are immigrants or should we also consider some of our folks who've been here a long time and are young and are trying to get their licenses. Perhaps there's a way that we can integrate everything together. That's one of the big problems that we're hearing uh, from people. But if somebody has a license, I would assume then that that person has passed a test. And if they pass a test, then they're probably able to uh, know what the rules are and the laws are and follow them, and everybody will be much safer on the street. I want to be sure that because you get a license and you're an immigrant, you don't automatically uh, get a vote because right now that's what happens when you get a license. Um, we want to make sure that it's done properly. Uh, you know, I think in a very dog-whistle fashion, uh, Senator Allen, you are uh, making reference to voting rights. And to believe that having an undocumented resident of this state be able to now vote uh, Sounds like much of the debate you hear on Capitol Hill that there are some communities that shouldn't have access to the vote. The driver's license does not summarily mean that an undocumented person can vote. We believe that undocumented residents are driving anyway, so let's get those drivers on the record and protect the people of New Jersey. I would, if I could just, uh, uh, getting them on the record is good. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about a dog whistle. Unclear about that. Um, I think it's a word that's so overused and so inappropriately used so often. Uh, I'm simply saying what I believe, and uh, it has nothing to do with any other communities. It simply has to do with an immigrant community that uh, under our laws uh, doesn't get the right to vote. Uh, we can make decisions along the road as to how maybe we will bring them into that fold, but they're not there yet. We need to follow the laws. Lieutenant Governor Oliver, voting access should not be a partisan issue, but it is increasingly becoming politicized. Do you support or oppose measures that will make it easier for people to vote, including same-day voter registration, increased early voting, and voting by mail. Governor Murphy and I wholeheartedly support those efforts. Uh, and we have done that during our administration. New Jersey, for the first time, will have early voting. Because of COVID, we had a vote by mail. And it resulted in more people than ever having access to vote. We're in the 21st century. Voting kinds of structures that were created before we even had technology have to be re-examined. 
I wholeheartedly support the three uh, kinds of uh, opening up assets, uh, access to voting that you have described. Uh, there are states like the state of Washington and others that have been doing it for years. Why should New Jersey be stuck in a 19th century um, structure of voting when we can do much better? And people have access, and that is what we should have. We need more people to participate. Civic engagement is the key. The lieutenant governor's right. Civic engagement is the key. We need more people to take part in all of this. And if we're able to make it happen legally and safely, then I'm perfectly uh, behind it. Um, and I think that we'll see how all of this works out for New Jersey. I think it's going to work out just fine. But we need to keep an eye on that. I have a lot of people come up to me and say, I'm a little concerned about the voting. If I put my ballot in this box, how do I know it's going to be okay? If I use the mail, what's going to happen? People are concerned, and we need to make sure that they feel that we're doing a good job making it safe, making their vote count, and giving them every opportunity to vote. And Senator, last week in the debate between Phil Murphy and Jack Chiarelli, there was a lot of talk about Donald Trump. Frankly, I'm surprised his name hasn't come up before now, uh, but not so much about Joe Biden. So let's talk about President Biden, uh, and specifically about the fight in Congress right now over infrastructure spending. Should Congress pass the trillion-dollar infrastructure plan? Should they pass the $3.5 trillion proposal that includes climate change and social policies? Or should they, should they do neither? Well, I think the infrastructure plan is one that everybody seems to support. And uh, Nancy Pelosi made a promise, which she's now broken, that she would uh, send that through and allow everybody to vote on it. But now it is tied once again to a much larger thing. And this tends to be, it seems to me, uh, a Democratic problem because you have moderate Democrats and extreme left Democrats, and they're fighting over what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. Let's just get the infrastructure piece done. Every state can use infrastructure help. I know New Jersey can. If the party of Trump would stop focusing in on their desire to sit upon the throne in the White House, they would be honest and know that we need human infrastructure as well. There are people in every state in this country who don't have access to health care, that don't have access to higher education, they lack the ability to, to work and have someone take care of their child. We need both. We need physical infrastructure in this country, and we need investment in human capital in this country. You know, everyone talks about, for instance, Joe Manchin. Some of the poorest people to be found are in the state of West Virginia. If Joe Manchin was not so centered, focused, on his re-election to the U.S. Senate, he knows he would cast his vote for investment in human capital as well. Let me ask a quick follow-up, Lieutenant Governor. Do you want Joe Biden to campaign for you before election day? Do you want to share the stage with him? Sure. I am very proud of Joe Biden. I am proud that he uh, does not get, uh, you know, embroiled in the partisanship. He started off his tenure wanting to work in a bipartisan fashion. But just as they did with prior Democratic presidents, meaning the Republican Party, 
They made a decision. They were going to thwart Joe Biden at every turn, make him fail. What is it that Mitch McConnell said the first day of the Obama administration? We're going to do everything in our power to make sure that he fails. That is the same old playbook that's being used on Capitol Hill now. We've got to make Joe Biden fail because we have to convince the American people that the Republicans will run a better country. But we know that that is not what the people of this country want. And Senator, let me ask you the same question. Do you want Joe Biden to campaign for Sheila Oliver? I would love that. I would love for him to come in and campaign for her. People are, I mean, just look at the numbers. His numbers have just sunk. After what happened in Afghanistan, people have their have just thrown their hands up. They can't imagine why anybody would have run something like that. I mean, he said that all of his military people told him to do just what he did, that they were all in agreement. But then when we heard the military people, the generals and so on, before Congress, they said, oh, no, that's not what we told him. We told him, leave a force of 2,500 and do this and do And if you're going to get out, for heaven's sakes, get the people out first. It was such a botched thing. And people are no longer feeling uh, the kind of belief that Joe Biden can do what he said he could do. Um, I'll tell you, I didn't vote for Joe Biden because I didn't think he was up for the job. And I think he's shown that in many ways. May I? Uh, we no. We need to move on. Please move on. Thank you. Lieutenant Governor Oliver, during last week's debate, when Assemblyman Cittarelli discussed how women have been treated in the Murphy administration, Governor Murphy's response was, why don't you ask Sheila Oliver? So, we're here tonight. We're going to take his advice. How have women been treated in this administration? Having had the experience of working in the state legislature in New Jersey and now in the administration, I've known several governors. Phil Murphy is the only governor in my experience that has women at the table making decisions, major decisions on a daily basis. He has opened up government for inclusion. Women, half of our cabinet is comprised of women, women holding very important and prestigious positions, women who are able to take their departments in a number of different directions. That didn't exist in other gubernatorial uh, uh, administrations. You had to, like, call daddy to ask. That doesn't happen in a Murphy administration. If he has appointed a woman to a position, he did that because he felt confident in the qualifications and the ability of that woman to do that job. But if there's an issue and the woman has a problem, he's nowhere to be found. You take a look at Katie Brennan, who says that she was raped. She tried to get that information to the governor. She wasn't heard. She said over and over, I went unheard. Finally, he said, I'll get on that. And she never heard from him again. Or Julie Roginski, who is a Democratic operative, very bright, very capable, and she was involved in the campaign four years ago, and she said it was a toxic workplace. People were harassing her and, and other women, and finally she went right to the governor and said, we can't have this. You've got to do something. And he did. He fired Julie. Or, or take a look at uh, his soccer team, 
He owned a soccer team, and the women said, we can't live in these circumstances, and he ignored them. He just didn't want to have to deal with it. I already mentioned about the Edna Man prison. I mean, it took forever for the governor to face what was going on there, and the federal government said it's still not fixed. They they forced the state uh, to do even more because it's still not fixed. I am concerned that this governor is unable to handle confrontation. And when something goes wrong and people confront him with something, he's just not willing to make that move. Jack Cittarelli, on the other hand, will see what the problem is. He will take in information and he will make a decision and he will act on it. Lieutenant Governor Oliver, Vince Minto from Galloway asked, hundreds of veterans in New Jersey are experiencing homelessness. Is the state investing enough money into building housing for veterans? And what would your administration do to once and for all end veteran homelessness? That, 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 I'm, I'm so glad you asked that because as the commissioner of the Department of, of uh, Community Affairs, I bear responsibility for housing creation in this state. If the prior administration had not shut down the Affordable Housing Trust Fund based on an ideological kind of a concept that we shouldn't build affordable housing in this state or subsidized housing in this state. We've now gotten back on track. In Governor Murphy's uh, first year, we produced 5,500 units of new housing. The governor has created a task force, uh, which we had a meeting just the other day, to create housing for veterans. Titton Falls tried for years to get the prior administration to provide funding to create veterans housing in Tinton Falls, Monmouth County. I, as the commissioner, within one year, provided funding through the, through the HMFA to make certain that Titton Falls got that housing for veterans. Homelessness has been an issue close to my heart for decades. I've slept on the streets with homeless people in Philadelphia to see what their issues were and how we could solve them. I found that over 30% of those on the street had mental health issues. We don't have enough beds to take care of people with mental health issues who are on the street. We need to do a much better job in New Jersey to treat our mentally ill. I found out that a third of them were, in fact, veterans, many of them dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. I was on the board of a number of organizations that worked to get them into homes, to single-room occupancy to start with, move them into other places. Um, Veterans Haven in New Jersey has done a great job of taking veterans and moving them through the process. And then a second Veterans Haven um, was put together. I've worked closely with them. I've gone into the areas where the homeless veterans are living because out in the woods because they are afraid to go into someplace else. We need to do a much better job with our veterans. I think that it has, over the last decades, gotten better, but we need to do a whole lot more. And Senator Allen, some people say that you have moved unnaturally to the right as a candidate for lieutenant governor. They, you don't sound like the moderate Diane Allen that many of us were expecting to see in this campaign, that always conservative on fiscal issues, but centrist on social issues. Have you changed? Well, I think if you've listened to my answer so far, you'd think no. <laughs> and in fact, I haven't. Uh, I'm still that person um, who voted for gay marriage long before President Obama even uh, backed it. 
I'm still that person who decided to uh, work with Garden State Equality so that we could get a really strong anti-bullying bill so that everybody was protected in school. Um, I'm still that person who worked to get insurance companies to cover women's contraceptives because I found out that the insurance companies were paying for Viagra but not paying for contraceptives. I didn't think that was fair, and so we changed that. I've worked with domestic violence victims. I've worked in many different areas, and I would say that um, socially moderate is probably exactly where I am, but you make a good point. I am fiscally conservative, and uh, I still am that as well. I'm fiscally conservative as well, and I've been a Democrat all my life. I also have been... Um, you know, socially uh, progressive. I do believe you can be socially progressive and fiscally responsible. I uh, look at the math. As a government administrator for many years, I've experienced being able to be socially progressive and fiscally responsible. It is, it is, it is, you know, instead of bearing labels, whether we're a conservative or we're a you know, to the left, to the right. If we do what is necessary for people that's being progressive in this country and we can do be fiscally conservative at the same time. It's not an either or or. And Lieutenant Governor, one criticism that I've heard of you in, in, over the last few years is that you haven't necessarily been in the room for some major policy decisions made by Governor Murphy, uh, why aren't you in the room when the governor meets with the Senate president and the Assembly Speaker? Uh, as a matter of fact, I do meet in the room with the Senate president and the Assembly Speaker and the governor and his chief of staff and a couple of others. I have a great relationship with the Senate president and with the Speaker. Governor Murphy recognizes that. And you know, I, I, I joked uh, at one of our meetings when, you know, there was a, a break in silence uh, deliberating an issue. And uh, I turned to uh, the governor and I said, let me explain to you what Senator Sweeney means. And Steve said, yes, she's the Steve whisperer, just like that old movie, the horse whisperer. But uh, I am in the room, and uh, I am able to influence things. I can pick up a phone call, a phone, and I can call Sen Senator Sweeney on an issue and get cooperation. I can do the same thing with, uh, with uh, Craig Coughlin, our speaker. So uh, I am in the room. But something I learned a very long time ago, you know, people will ask, why aren't, you know, about, uh, why don't we see you more often? That's because I'm at the desk doing the work. I don't have to be uh, in the room all the time. I can exert influence on outcomes that happen in Trenton without having to necessarily always, quote, be in the room. But I am in the room with leadership. Senator, will you be, if you're the lieutenant governor, will you, you've been left out of rooms before. Yes, I have. Will you insist on being there? Um, I don't even have to insist. When Jack Cittarelli uh, called me in July and said, I want you to run with me, uh, he said, I want you to be a partner in everything that we do. And um, 
I accepted understanding that we would be working together. He'll be the governor, but I expect to have uh, input on all of the big decisions. He may take my advice or not, but we talk often and we, we can change each other's um, points of view and, and conclusions because we listen to each other and, and we try to put something together. Um, I'm excited about working with him. He's been a businessman uh, for many years. He knows how to get things done, and um, he's not afraid to make a decision. And I think that's going to be really good for New Jersey. Candidates' time passes very quickly when we're having fun. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so it's now time for closing statements, one-minute closing statements, and we'll, we'll start with Senator Allen. Well, I want to thank all of you for doing this. This has really been a wonderful evening. Um, I guess the bottom line for me is that New Jersey is broken, and I think the reason it's broken is because I don't think this administration, I don't think that Phil Murphy and Sheila Oliver care enough about the people of New Jersey. I mean, you know, we talk about the COVID thing, and my gosh, if you cared about the people of New Jersey, you wouldn't have put sick COVID patients back into nursing homes and 8,000 people dying. Um, you wouldn't have shuttered small businesses the way they were done, the big Box stores got to stay open, and now these small businesses, at least a third of them, aren't coming back. You would have gotten unemployment checks out to people in time. You wouldn't have had to wait months. Motor vehicle would have been taken care of. These are the sorts of issues, but taxes is the big issue. And, of course, Governor Murphy said, if taxes are your issue, this may not be your state. Well, here's the deal. It is my issue, and this is my state, and it's your state as well. Jack Cittarelli and I will take back New Jersey for all of us with your support. I too would like to thank you for hosting Senator Allen and I tonight. This election is about moving New Jersey forward and not going backwards regressively. In the Murphy Oliver administration, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can focus in on investments in education and health care and making certain that our small businesses can thrive. We can invest in local economies, as we do in, through my department and others with the Neighborhood Preservation Program, with the Main Street New Jersey Program. We can do a variety of different things. All I've heard from Cittarelli and Allen are property taxes. That comes up in every election I've ever participated in for the past 40, 50 years. We are going to move New Jersey forward, include everyone, and not perpetuate divisiveness in the state of New Jersey. And now it's time for me to thank both of you, uh, the candidates for lieutenant governor, uh, Republican Diane Allen, Democrat Sheila Oliver. This is, this is a magnificent display of democracy when two candidates sit together. And I want to thank Michael Rasmussen, and Chanel McLeod and the entire Ryder community uh, for their strong support of this debate and Project Ready in the New Jersey Globe. And, and let me just say in closing, voting in this election has already begun. Uh, people who have received a, a vote-by-mail ballot, uh, please return it. Early voting starts on October 23rd. Election day is November 2nd. Uh, there have never been more opportunities in this state to vote as there are today. And, and please, regardless of how you vote, if you don't vote, you will lose your credibility to complain about the outcome of this election. 
And please don't miss the final gubernatorial debate next Tuesday, October 12th, on New Jersey PBS. I'm David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and I appreciate you both being here tonight. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for having us.